Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. We're on the 201st episode, and Rihanna and I are celebrating, what, three and a half years? Three and a half years together. It's like... Sounds it, right. Almost, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's could, almost almost four, yeah. You could, uh, you could make an argument that this classifies as a long-term relationship. You could, you could make an argument. I'm just, yeah, I'm this just is saying. the longest relationship I've ever been in. I mean, it may, hey, that makes two of us. So <laughs> <laughs> nice to, nice to see you again. Um, but before we even jump into things, I didn't even get a chance to ask you, Rian, how, how your week slash weekend was. I, I mean, I saw you over the weekend, so I know how the weekend was. But how are the last couple of days between? What happened the last couple of days? We've seen your team decide to actually internally blow themselves up before probably the most important game of the season next week and we've also seen trump get indicted we've seen uh <laughs> in a boardroom in a, in a in not a boardroom a uh uh oh my gosh a court a, a courthouse room courtroom yeah. courtroom now that was today though yeah that was today we we've seen a lot happen essentially um how are you how are you how are you just in general tell me that <laughs> oh well, you know, like uh, my my weekend through Saturday was pretty great. Like Saturday was beautiful. Got um I mean, well, like early part of the day I was I I watched Chelsea and Bayern and Bayern versus Chelsea versus Liverpool, Aston Villa and then uh Bayern versus Dortmund, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but I was in a bar that was showing those two games at once. It was a Dortmund bar specifically, so it was very depressing and then and then Chelsea Chelsea yeah the Chelsea Villa game was on like in the corner like the one the only tv that wasn't showing the Dortmund (laughs) um Bayern games so so I was I was watching both of them at the same time because they were I could see both of them at once but nice yeah other than that the Saturday was really good because it was beautiful out and actually was outside for a lot of the day and uh, that was really nice so love it Love it. And then oh, then and then when then we had a potluck that we did, we did that have uh, that Elias and and one of and uh, his friend Arisha hosted. So that was um, that was really nice. That was really if, nice. If I ate so much way, food. It was great. I was about to say if this is your way of complimenting my cooking, we have no problems. Our relationship is very strong. Our long. Yeah, you didn't say how much of that did you cook. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it was it was not more okay. than twenty five percent. It could not have. Been oh, I mean, that's that. still. I, I mean, that's still a pretty good amount. Like, the, Listen, I, I. I guess the better question is how much of the food there was actually brought by people that were not hosting it. Oh, that's actually a good question. I would probably say maybe another twenty five to thirty percent. Probably, I would say she okay. did fifty percent of the cooking. I did. Ah. Uh, 25% and then everyone else I think did another 25%. I was listen, I don't know why. I was responsible for veggies and potatoes, okay? <laughs> Which I can do, but I'm not usually the veggies guy. So all I'm saying is uh next time around, let me do dessert and I will guarantee you I'll make make up the rest of the 25%. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it it was still great. It was so great. Um I know no, I appreciated all the free food. Thank you. Love it. Um, but, and, 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 then you know, my weekend ended there, but nothing else happened. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> sure. You know what? We're going to get into all of it now. So you kind of signed yourself up for that segue. Um, yeah, look, my weekend was actually extremely busy between birthday stuff, hosting this dinner and, uh, 
Sunday was was pretty chill in terms of just board games and vibing. But let's uh, let's start on the footballing aspect of all of this, Rian. Wait, but I did I did one one of the things that I did really enjoy from Sunday. Well, two of the things, but I'm not gonna talk much about the other thing because it's succession, and I'm not gonna spoil it for for Elias. But thank you. Um, I watched the women's college basketball final, which was Very really good. good. Yeah. Um, was really good. Uh, basically until LSU started like really pulling away at the end, but it was a, it was a great game to watch. It was a very good game. Um, I feel like certain individual on LSU was getting a lot of flack for really, quite frankly, no reason and not more than anything else that you see. Oh yeah, in yeah. The NBA every day. So I, yeah, I don't know why that's yeah. an issue, but some, some weird pearl clutching going on from well. Not gonna say, but <laughs> from from some a certain group of people, um, and kind of ruining what was like a great game for the most part. Other than the referees being terrible, like actually really terrible. Like wow, that that's, was, that's a they actually were actively were actively trying to make that game less entertaining. It was it was really annoying. Um, but yeah, they like LSU was great. Kaylin Clark, it's like. Which like ridiculous. <laughs> like, like I, there was there was like two different moves that she did where I was like, wow, that reminded me of Kyrie. Yeah. And then and another one where she was, where I was like, oh wow, that reminded me of Stephen Curry. But like <laughs> she had kind of both. So it was no, she was she was amazing. That was great. Yeah, that was a good that was a good part of the Sunday for sure. Yeah. Those yeah. Were, those are two good parts. You want you want to talk about the not as great part now? You should have you should have. I can't remember anything else that's happened in the last two days, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me refresh your memory and let's segue over to the things that you don't want to remember or conveniently blacked out of your mind. Um, in the last three days, Rian, Chelsea have picked up one point from two games and they have sacked Graham Potter. On Sunday, we received a very blanketed club statement press communications tweet from the official Chelsea account uh, and all it read was club statement. Grant Potter is no longer a coach. He, uh, we wish him all the best. And um, after a just a woeful 2-0 loss to Aston Villa, okay, we'll give McGinnis flowers for a ridiculous hit, like, sure. But just another loss in general for Chelsea. Um, I feel like in some ways we haven't gotten a chance to talk about this so i'm gonna get your raw unfiltered and unedited thoughts now so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna let you have your moment and i'll give you like not 60 i'll give you a two minutes and then i'll cut you off oh no this is this this will be a back and forth it's okay this is not a this is not there's no rant there's no real rant here uh i said what i said earlier in the season where I don't know how I probably said at least a couple times where I was like, there's no point in, in sacking him before the end of the season. I still kind of feel the same way, but I understand. I, I, I somewhat understand like the reasoning behind it. The results were bad. How much you're blaming it on player versus manager is, is, is I guess an argument that honestly doesn't really matter that much this way, because even outside of that, I don't know because even, go on, before you say anything else, we talked a lot about player power and the change in culture at Chelsea over the last maybe five to seven years. You don't think that that played a significant role here? I don't think this was players. No, I, yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't think this is because the players like 
stopped listening or whatever it is. I, I think the players kind of are what they are, <laughs> realistically. That that's maybe what I mean by that. Like I I I think uh there's been about like at least three years here of 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 uh evidence that Chelsea don't have good finishers and like the players kind of are what they are. Like they're changing the coach was not gonna unfortunately changing the coach was not gonna all of, all of a sudden make Kai Havertz a, a better finisher. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, nor was it going to make Joel Felix a better finisher. Um, but those are just kind of, they are what they are. And so I think like overall, or let me start with like the Grand Potter part of it. The reason why I kind of said like that it, it may not matter either way is because like two things can be true. The players are, are not just it, it feels so simple to to reduce it all to this, but like the amount of games that they did create better chances than the other side, including the Villa loss, <laughs> literally including that game, um, and including the draw today against Liverpool. You know the, the amount of times that they've done that uh, that has been the case for these Chelsea players in the not even just under Potter, but man i'm sure we talked about it a lot under tuchel as well too and, and i i hope that my kind of uh feelings towards it and explanations have been consistent because i've kind of felt like this anyway but like the players the, the manager can only do so much he can yeah. only get you to the final third but that's the one side of it that's like that part can be true but the other side of it too is that I, I I also I might have said this a couple months ago where I was like I'm I'm willing to give him the time till the end of the season, uh, but you needed to see some sort of progression in terms of like how the team plays or or any sort of consistency really. I mean the formation has been pretty consistent recently that three four three, but the way that it's played, the kind of um, some of the tasks and like responsibilities that are being asked of of whether it's the, the attackers or the center mids, whatever, um, has not been consistent the entire time too. And there's also been this other side where it's felt like for, for whatever reason, whether it's coming from um, internal pressure or internal pressures in like within the club uh, or pressure that Potter was feeling himself, there's definitely been this air of, short-term gains over over long-term gains like especially when i think about the lineup the last couple of weeks it, it really feels like we're trying to build towards the the quarterfinal with real madrid which you know sounds like a good thing like when you say it out loud yeah that sounds like a good idea like we, we should really be prioritizing lineups that that uh we might actually play against against real madrid the tough part of that is that we that like Chelsea did not register uh Badishil, who I think has been like between him and Enzo probably in the best signings of, of the last two windows. Um not playing him be for that reason and, and playing trying to fit in Kukurea and Chilwell because Kukurea is eligible and they've played him in a couple of the other Champions League games. And prioritizing, like, let's set this up so that, like, we get chemistry going to this Champions League quarterfinal. Whereas, like, my brain is like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to win this competition either way. So we should probably be, like, prioritizing, you know, figuring out who's going to be on the team next season. And then, like, playing the guys who have been signed or whatever, whatever. But that is, like, the 
the two sides of it. That was, that's kind of like a ramble. Like the two sides are Potter's definitely made some mistakes in terms of how he's never really had a, he's never picked, really picked a direction, just kept going on it. Like, like um, Stayed afloat, essentially. Yeah, like not not. It's there's been some indecision. It's, it feels like, and and this is just I can only go off feelings and from what like has how there's been some inconsistencies in how the team is played or set up. It it feels like he has not just said this is how we want to play or and slash this is how this um this season is really like not seen as the make or break kind of thing like. The way that it's been treated in that sense, I think, is a bit on him. The other side of it is that he's in a completely unique situation that maybe no coach has ever <laughs> faced before. Um, so I, I, I think, like for him specifically, he should still have a very good reputation after this. I think the team should really consider how unique of a situation that he was put in here with, like the amount of players, the overall turnover of the entire club like the entire club like, like, top, like down. <laughs> top down like even as he was coming in like they hadn't like all of the um personnel who are now um the kind of like front office of chelsea were not fully in place the guys the two the two guys who have kind of pretty much uh convinced the owners that it was time for Potter to go. We're not fully in place when, when Grand Potter was hired. So like just thinking about all of that, how unique of a situation this is really should be like taken in consideration for anyone who's like looking for him for his next um, job. And he really shouldn't, he should still have a very high reputation, but probably was not the right time for him to take a, a job with these expectations or at least one that's so nuanced, like this one is extremely nuanced. Um, so that's, so I feel bad for him on that sense. It, it's difficult for him not to take the opportunity when it came to him because there's only like 10 of these jobs in the world. So truly, truly. <laughs> 10 of these types of like jobs at this profile in the world. So um, that was probably over two minutes and I really, and I was really trying to make it not see it's, I, I promise it's not a rant and I hope that it does not come off like that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that it's, and that was really all just the Graham Potter part of it. Like, but I think that's, um, I think that he should still be regarded as a very good coach and, yeah. and should not be immensely affected reputation wise by this. Yeah. No, and, and look, there are two points that I want to make uh, around Graham Potter specifically. The first being the leash for Premier League managers and truly top five European managers at this rate is extremely thin. And you think about the coaches that have been sacked this year, now at least, um, in the Premier League. Steven Gerrard, you have, um, oh my God, Crystal Palace recently. Yeah. Vieira. Thank you, Patrick Vieira, Patrice Vieira. You know what I mean. Um, I'm stumbling. Um, <laughs> Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte. You have uh, – there's there's another one that I'm – oh, Brendan Rodgers. Um, and so – Yeah, that was a big one this, this it, weekend too, it right? Was, it was a big one. And the point that I'm trying to make is right now the top three managers in the Premier League – or the, the three managers with the longest tenure are Pep Guardiola – Jurgen Klopp 
Um, and I believe it's, um, I don't know who the third might be actually. It's a great question. I'm trying to think about who it could be right now. We'll get back to you on that, but I actually, I actually genuinely don't know who that would be. Um, but, the, but my point was being, was going to be, there are, I believe three managers at the top of that list. Everybody else is about one, maybe two years max and then below. It's probably Mikel Arteta, realistically. Yes. Yeah, it it is, might, it I is. might not be right. No, 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 I might no, no, not be is. right, it but I, it probably is. He's got to be really close to the top, to the top it is three. Because like. He's now going on four years. So it is, it is those three and everybody else basically. And so, this is unfortunately becoming more of a common occurrence where that leash does get shorter and shorter because everyone does want short-term gains. Um, now, in respect to Graham Potter, and this is the final thought that I'll make on on him specifically, you had mentioned earlier in the year that there's really no point in sacking Graham Potter. Like, they're realistically, between now and the end of the season, you're not going to find out anything new about a new manager, etc. I'm curious if your opinion on that changed when player not players but names like Julian Nagelsmann, Luis Enrique, right? Those managers start getting mentioned in the context of potentially becoming a Chelsea manager. Did that change your opinion at all? I don't think so, honestly. I, I would those are two those are two coaches that I would be pretty comfortable <laughs> with being the next coach for sure. Um but no, I, I think like in the sense of you could have I, I realize that the the public outcry of what it could have been as this season progressed under Potter, and there's still ten games left. Um, it's not it's not like there are only two, three, four games left. Uh, I, I, I so I understand like it it could have become really untenable uh, from a fan point of view, right? Atmosphere in the in the stadium and whatnot, but. Um, I think even if you bring in one of those two guys right now, like I still don't think I'm learning anything yeah. much new about the team. Um, I don't think we'll learn anything really new about the team until there are some um, outgoings in the summer, realistically. So, yeah, I, I, I still feel that way in in terms of like um, how good how good this could this all have been if like a coach was was fired or, or hired earlier so yeah and i think it's it's all like a tough situation honestly yeah. like the like there there are there are definite it, 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 it made it very difficult because you had the one side where um like the conversion rate of of, of everything like i was i was reading the athletic article there's like chelsea's conversion rate under potter or it might be the season in general something like seven percent which is like the fourth worst or something like that, or third worst potentially in the league. Um, and that's difficult. And, and then it's made more difficult by the fact that Chelsea were not creating a lot of like really high, like high quality chances. Like their expected goals per shot was in like the point one region, which is like mid table to lower is, yeah. is the better, the, the best teams you expect to be in like that point one, three, one, four area. So, it's it was it's it was just not really tenable on either side it felt like by the end here um and i feel bad for potter really and it's just a it was just an unfortunate situation that he uh that came about to be like his first chance at one of these huge jobs yeah hey listen i think there will always be future jobs for him as long as he wants them 
but we do have to uh, part ways with Grand Potter. And I don't even know if you want to say anything about Chelsea at this point, but I do want to move on to talk about City of Liverpool because that was an exhilarating game from entirely one side of the uh, <laughs> of the ball. Um, unless there is something that you do want to say about Chelsea. No, no, I think we'll look, we'll, there'll be a lot to come over the next couple of weeks, depending on how quickly they're going to move on this, um, on this next coach. And I think, yeah, the likely favorites will be the two main two names you've mentioned in, in Nogglesman and Enrique and maybe Pochettino, who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I'll have more to say on it. If, if it's a certain coaches, if Nogglesman is, is the next coach, I'll, I'll have a lot more to say on it. Um, between him and Enrique, I'll have a lot more to say on it. Uh, and whoever gets chosen, honestly, but I'll, I'll there's there's this. still time. It's it sounds like they're going to be somewhat patient with this, unless one of those two guys are really looking to start now. I mean, there's no point in someone coming in for the Champions League ties uh, or, or games against Real Madrid because that. I mean, you're just asking to be a scapegoat. But I'll leave you with this thought, and then I, I'm done talking about Chelsea for your own sake. Um, the last time Chelsea actually beat a quote-unquote big six club in the league specifically was January of 2022. And that was a 2-0 win over Spurs um, and how far those clubs have changed in this even this season. But, Rian, let's shift focus entirely, please. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Manchester City-Liverpool game this past weekend. City 4, Liverpool 1. Liverpool did, of course, score first in this game. Um and that went on to be their only shot on goal the entire match. Um, it was – this was not close. This was – this truly felt like such a fall from grace from about three years ago. Maybe even four years ago, you could argue, um, in in a tie. Uh, one I, – I would say literally like nine months ago. Yeah. <laughs> one year ago. <laughs> like, yeah. At max. <laughs> I mean, look, you're, you're talking about a team that, that beat City back in – it was, I think it was literally five years ago, not to the day because they played on April Fools this year, but like in April of 2019, Liverpool won 3 0 against City. And it's not like the personnel have so drastically changed, albeit, you know, the core is still there. Let's talk about more importantly, what went wrong for Liverpool? How did this happen? How did they get into a position where, I mean, your back line was uh, Liverpool's back line was Gomez, Matip, Kanate, and Simikas, right? So no Van Dyke. Uh, the rest is iffy at best. I mean, you and I have talked about this. I feel like Van Dyke was starting in that game. Did he didn't start today against Chelsea. Oh, no. that was that was the um, Chelsea um, back line. Thank you. But so replace Van Dyke. That's. It's still iffy at best. I don't know what to tell you. And then from a midfield standpoint, we I could go on and on, and we, I think we could talk about it forever. But just give me your thoughts on what you thought went wrong with Liverpool. I, I, I started cracking up as soon as you asked that question. Like, it's it's at a risk of sounding like a broken record. It's the same yeah. thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's – I – we've seen – we have enough evidence now for this season – their away performances 
and you can include today against Chelsea. Like, like they were they were blessed to be facing shots from one on one opportunities by Kai Havertz, Jao Felix, and Mateo Kovacic. All people like like they were blessed that that was who they were facing on those one v ones. Like Allison did great, obviously, but like th- a little saw, a little more way, difficult. Yeah, and, and we, like we have history to show us in the last month when you faced quality finishers and Benzema and Vinicius doesn't really go well for you either. So yeah, (laughs) but like specifically when they've played away to any of the, the, you know, the the bigger clubs or the, the clubs who are doing very well this season, not even just bigger. doesn't matter. They've got, they got destroyed by Brighton at away to Brighton. Like we remember that, like, like Brighton's been great. They have a pretty good, they have a good chance of finishing the top four. They can definitely, they have a great chance of finishing above Liverpool in general. Yeah. Um, but every their away performances to Arsenal, their away performances to I don't actually don't know if they've played City away yet. But um, well, that was this past weekend. Oh wow! Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's I'm, what we're talking about. I'm trying. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh my gosh, that was the, nice. As you can see, as you can see, I've really tried to block out that weekend <laughs> in general. Um, but. Their away performances have been pretty terrible against like some of the best sides, right? Like they 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 were able to win against Newcastle at two nil, um, a weird that game was... though because Newcastle went down ten and they actually had better chances than Liverpool <laughs> in that game. So once again, yeah, they they can't play away from home like um, particularly well. Like they 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 can't. The fact that they cannot press most of the time, even at home, they can't even do that. Um, but it's even worse when they're away. Like they can't exert any control over games when they're, especially when they're away from home. Um, and that, I, I don't love to to rely on the mentality stuff so much, but like that, that is enough. That 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 like yeah. that is that is striking enough like how bad they are pressing away from home and i mean they're pressing from home is not good anyway but like how much poor the performances are away from home um especially once they actually like go down a goal so it's well well let me let me just touch on that really quickly because liverpool in this game defended in you know some sort of a 4-2-4 formation almost recognizing that we have to overcommit in order to prevent city basically running through our team like like you have to try and play a numbers game against their back line and i thought pep's response to this by the way was like incredible i really like i really enjoyed um what he did because in response we saw john stone essentially essentially play as an extra midfielder for a majority of this game and what that kind of did i think for city like what i think that did for liverpool is it exposed their um, their numerical advantage or disadvantage. And by having John Stones essentially play as like a second defensive midfielder, like Pep set up this, like we've talked a little bit about this offline, you and I, but like this box setup right in midfield. And it's actually something Xavi at Barcelona has, has used a lot in the last couple of months. But the reason why I think City have been able to do this, and I'm getting to the Liverpool piece in a second, the reason why they've been able to do that is because they can swap Gundogan and Bernardo Silva almost like for like. And Liverpool choose to let that type of profile in. I guess it was one y'all that we talked a little bit about on offline about like we, we talked about how they just let him go. 
and didn't replace him. It's, it's fine that they let him go. I mean, he, he hasn't necessarily performed up to probably the standard Liverpool would want now anyway, but without replacing him, that's probably one of the many, many reasons why City have handled to Liverpool or did handle Liverpool very, very easily. Yeah. And, and, and this, the John Stones piece is like, it, it's something that he started to do over the last, like, maybe three games, Max. Like, he started to use him more and more. he started using him on the right back role, um, probably in the last month or so. But, like, actually, him starting to, like, go into the midfield has been something that, that you've seen more and more the last few games, which is, like, really great. And, and, and Stones is so good on the ball. Anyway, they're like, the, he, he's one of the, he, he's one of the few center backs and not even just in their team, but like in the league, probably that could, yeah. that could play center mid right back and, and uh center back for them. So yeah, that was a great, great little wrinkle. It's like kind of going back to the Liverpool side of it. Like we've discussed how their pressing is worse this season, just from like their passes per defensive action metrics. Right. But you like when you're watching the game without even knowing those those numbers, like you can tell that they are trying to press, or you can tell that at least like their inability to press opens up space uh, pretty easily for the opposition, especially on the switches. I think I counted like three of the four. I think three of the four goals that City um, scored were as a direct result of them being able to fairly easily switch the pl- switch the um play away from like Liverpool's yeah the Liverpool like crowding players on the on the one side kind of trying to press kind of really carrying this phrase right now but kind of trying to press and then city just moving it to the to the other side and finding someone in space i mean the I want to say it was the maybe it was the second goal um, for City where Julian Alvarez played this great ball um, to Mahrez like oh, it's like two touches and he played in this ball that was ridiculous that like it's not even on unless you play it perfectly and and you're basically begging Mahrez to to run onto it and then he ends up uh, crossing it for for De Bruyne but almost every one of City's goals I think even you go back to the first one that Alvarez scores, like the play between Grealish and Gundogan. And Grealish, who, you know, I've, I've been critical of this season, but he's been really good the last few weeks. Like, and, and you know, I, I, I think I probably underestimated, though, how much time it's taken for someone, especially Grealish, who came from a system where he was really heavily relied on to do a lot of the um, attacking work to kind of have to you know, fit his way into a system more than more than uh, one that he was in before. So honestly, props to him. He was great. And I think that City were just, they're just so much better than Liverpool. Like, <laughs> and that's not a crazy thing to say. Liverpool in eighth place. They, no. <laughs> they played a game today with two mid table against another mid table team. And it, and it basically looked like it. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not crazy that that city were able to run away from them in this game. Um, the first goal, the goal from Liverpool was was a nice one. It was like they, they were able to break City's press, and then 
Uh, it was good work by by Jota and of course Salah to finish it, but like they're just they're just not remotely close on City's <laughs> level. And I and I and I maybe I'll be wrong, but I expect not too dissimilar of a of a game this weekend, even though that will be at home. So so you expect them to be a bit better. Um, although you know the the evidence of every game you've watched of them this season would tell you they're even a, like a bit better is not going to be competitive enough, especially not, against not Arsenal. For the, not for the league leaders, no. Um, but you you mentioned two players that I just want to hit on really quickly: Julian Alvarez and Jack Relish. Julian Alvarez pl- made some incredible runs and some, to your point, ridiculous passes in this game. And I think that just goes to show. By the way, the city got him for like 14 million euros, like something ridiculous in, in this market. So jot that down. Um, but it just goes to show that even without Erling Holland, city are going to be okay um, in the event that he is injured, things like that. And with him, just so you know, they're also okay if you didn't get pick up on that memo this season. But with Jack Grealish, like you have given a lot of flack this season. And I think we both have sort of realized that he has not necessarily performed to the level that we saw prior to him arriving from Aston Villa. In the league since the World Cup, he's played in 14 games. He's racked up five assists and three goals, most number of fouls won, and he is second in most take-ons completed, most expected assists from open play, and he has the second most assists in that time, as well as being top five in most duels won and most touches in the fourth most, most touch in the opposition box. So in terms of his adaptability to the team as I guess you could call it like a left-sided midfielder. I think he's started to own that role pretty, pretty well. Um, And I think a big reason for that has actually been Julian Alvarez as as well. So just wanted to give those two a proper, proper shout out for, for what they deserve. So. Yeah, no, he's, he's been fantastic. And I think, he'll be also like heavily relied upon in the, in champions league as well. So um, it's an interesting one because like Julian Alvarez definitely he reminds you a bit of Sergio Aguero. Yeah. A bit, not like, um, I, I think, I think Aguero's touch. I mean, Aguero was amazing. So like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a high bar, but he, he reminds me, he, he feels like he can develop into that sort of player. Um, wow. You know, Holland was out for this game. And I still think that he, that you'll see his like true worth more in the Champions League than than you see in the league right now because uh, I'm just just thinking about that Alvarez goal. That is the exact goal that I would have expected Holland to score. So you know it, it's like I, I think Holland would have scored that exact goal too because it was just that sort of you know um, a move that was set up for the striker in the middle kind of kind of thing that cut back. Yeah. Um, so. I think that I think that you'll I still think you'll feel like his worth more in Champions League games when there's very very few chances between the two sides. So we'll see though. Well, we've kind of already seen Holland's worth in the Champions League in their last match, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I guess I'm I mean specifically for this next time. I know yeah. I'm totally yeah. messing with you. Um, <laughs> so one last thing that uh, well, not one last thing. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to say on City Liverpool? I I think. Both of us in her like we no, last time. No, I, I, I think I think we're I think the prevailing feeling from that game is that okay, yeah, City they feel like they could go on that run, 
right now. Um, they feel like they can go on that that kind of run and and feels like they are gelling a bit more than they have in the last um, or for most of the season, honestly. But I, I I still think it'll be really close going to the end, and I, I still have seen no reason not to think that Arsenal, especially coming off of their very, very resounding result against Leeds this weekend. Um, I think there's really no reason to, to to think that Arsenal is going to fall off because City are going to win some of the games. And I don't think City will win every single game from here to the rest of the season. I don't think either. Maybe I'll be wrong. But I don't think that, but I don't think that'll be the case. I think that's extremely valid. Um, Rian, let's shift focus towards... Uh, I actually, I'm really curious about this team. United went on to lose 2-0 to Newcastle. Um, I, I've come to two realizations with United in the last in the last couple of weeks. And I'm just, I'm just going to give you these realizations now, and then you can comment or go in a completely different direction if you'd like. The first realization is that when United signed Casemiro and Christian Eriksen, I was sort of under the impression that, well, they're not necessarily the profiles, especially Casemiro, that uh, – the profiles, yes, but not necessarily the players, I should say, that United might need. They're you know, closer to the end of their career. They United probably need some, ter- some term of long-term investment um, in those specific profiles and, more importantly, those positions. Um, I don't think I could be more wrong. And I think that's in fact, like one of the most horrible takes I've had in the three and a half years of our long-term relationship. And I say that because every time that United seemingly play without Casemiro or Ericsson, or importantly, both this midfield falls apart. I mean, like completely falls apart. I don't want to hear anything about Scott McTominay, Scotland beating Spain ever again after this performance. I just not it. Anyway, that's one side of it. The second point that I was going to make is just more statistically from United. And I'm, I'm sure you know this, but if, if not, I, I want to share this United expected goal difference this season. It's plus five. Their actual goal difference is plus four. And I think back to the fall and the winter where United were seemingly pulling a Liverpool and winning a lot of games in the last five, 10 minutes, courtesy of a Marcus Rashford, you know, basically (laughs) saving face. (laughs) And I'm starting to realize that this team isn't overly good. They've just scored in a nice run of clutch goals to win close games. So those are the two realizations that I've kind of come to. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on both of those. Or if if you just think I'm wrong. No, no. Wow. No. I, I love I love that. Um you basically hit on it there, right? Like we talked about we talked about at the time, I've I hope that I hope that we did, like how it was great that Rashford was scoring all those goals and like he was actually getting into good positions and doing that, right? But he was the person scoring Almost all of them, which is, uh, which is never the best sign, uh, for like longer term health of the, of the, of the team. But I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe it was right after Casemiro got 
his second red card of the season. Um, I was honestly thinking, like, if United finish in the top four, Ten Hag has to be manager of the year because this team, I keep watching, and I'm just like, you pluck out. All you have to do is pluck out Casemiro. I'm going to be honest. Even if Erickson was playing in this game, in these games, they're not going to be any more defensively solid. So the drop off of the team, if Rashford doesn't score and Casemiro's not starting or playing at all, it's trash. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, like wow, this is honestly so impressive. You guys are even here because like it's, the, the balance is so off. It's the same. It's literally the same issues that that they had under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, right? Like, there is a reason why Tenog basically abandoned the way that he wanted the team to play from the first month and a half, and just said, "Let's just basically play the same way you did under under Solskjaer, especially like against um, the really good sides." And you kind of look at the underlying numbers too, and it's it's not crazy to think that they have not been one of the four best teams and, and might not finish in the top four because they have they have the seventh worst seventh best seventh best expected goal difference. They're behind Tottenham, they're behind Liverpool, and they are behind Brighton and Newcastle. Like and yeah, I don't have to mention it, but they're obviously behind Arsenal and, and Manchester City. That goes but they are they are you know not necessarily like that. It's hard to say that they are the fourth best team, even though I mean, and, and it's really hard to say it now because they're in fifth. But it's it's hard to say. <laughs> I, I I actually thought they might have still been in 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 uh in the top four, but it, it's not inconceivable to see them finishing outside the top four, right? I I just feel better about Newcastle, um, especially because they don't have any more games other than Premier League games, right? Because United still have to play Sevilla <laughs> in in the in Europa League, right? And you would expect they probably get past Sevilla. Uh, you would and they still have more games to play. Yeah. And they still have more games. And, and we might come down to a situation where they make the Europa League final and that's the only way they can get into the Champions League next season. I just you wouldn't be surprised um when you just it's kind weird. of look at the team. It's a very weird position that because uh, we were talking about a United team that were on a roll, but I think to your very first point, Mark Strashford and his goals covered a lot of cracks because quite frankly, like this was a different team 3 weeks ago. It it just was. There, it was there. Quite literally, just different personnel on the field. Uh, better personnel, might I add. Um, yeah, Casemiro getting his more red cards in the Premier League than La Liga is. I've, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but let's shift focus maybe around towards Newcastle because they seemingly got back on track. Now, of course, they're in third, but it's not as you and I call it a true third uh, because they have two more games played, I believe, than. Uh, any of the teams around them. I have to double check if that's correct, but no, no, they, they are a much better situation. They've, they have played two fewer than, than Tottenham. Oh, oh, they're so fine. Never mind. I thought it was the other way around. Um, yes. Yeah, Sp uh, Spurs. We'll, we'll get to them next. Don't worry. Um, is there anything that you want to say about Newcastle specifically? Because we've talked a little bit about 
sorry, a lot about the importance of Alex Isak. Um, in this game, though, I don't necessarily think he was the standout player. I mean, I forget what minute he was subbed off anyway, but um, just tell me about what you think about Newcastle yeah. after watching this game. Cause I, I, I don't think this was like the Alex Isak show. No, maybe not necessarily, but if you go back and watch the first goal, um, it first starts off with David De Gea putting Rafael Varane in just a, a <laughs> terrible position with the pass. Um, and that was what immediately makes them lose the ball. But, um, the ball ends up eventually getting deflected up in the air and Isak brings it down perfectly on one touch and then, and plays in, I think it was Jacob Murphy, um, yeah. who then he crosses to St. Maximin, who crosses it back or across the six to, Joe uh, I'm forgetting who scored. No. Chill. Who was it? The first first goal was Willick. Yeah. Willick. Yeah, yeah. Crosses the back around across six to, to Willick. And that goal doesn't happen without Isaac's touch, a second or two of hold up play, and then playing in the you know, pass before the pass. You know, the the, the assist before the, the assist. Free assist. Yes, yes, you got me. Um <laughs> but yeah, so that was so important. Like, like I know those moments don't show up as like an assist or or whatnot, but that goal doesn't happen without his pass. It with his pass there, right? Uh, so I think he was still good, and I think you still see like the quality that he adds when he's there, um, and that that's one moment of it. But overall, for Newcastle, like their pressing was really good. They we're begging United to pass it back to David De Gea. They were just begging for him to do it. And everyone's begging for him for United to do that. <laughs> like, David I mean, De Gea, look, <laughs> David De Gea has just never been good with his feet. It's never no, been a strong no. suit. I, like I know a lot He's of a great shot stopper. He had a, amazing. a couple really good saves in that game. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in Spain, you know, probably wonder why he's not being called up for being such a great shot stopper. And then you, I don't know, watch this game, or I forget, I think it was two games ago, uh, the blunder that he made that led to a goal. Like, it's not going to work for Spain. So, No, no, <laughs> it never will. It really never will. Um, yeah, I know, I, but, but from Newcastle point of view, they, it was it was a bit more of the same. Like, their pressing is great. They are so tough to beat at St. James Park, um, especially with, with that atmosphere. But everything really starts with like their pressing and, and how good they are at um, really making it difficult for the opposition to, to progress the ball up the field. Right. And then even when they do progress it up the field, they have good defenders, like one-on-one -on -one defenders like Dan Byrne. It's just kind of amazing how, how he's, his legs are just ridiculous. And, and it's so hard to get past him. Um, especially if you're a smaller guy like Anthony and even when it's Rashford that went up against him, the, his legs were able to just reach out and, and grab the ball away from, from Rashford. So they've got good individual defenders and guys who are really good at defending their own penalty box too, which makes, which was made them so good defensively this season. It's pretty much the reason why they're second to city um, in terms of expected goals allowed. And they're also like leading the league in terms of goals allowed in general. So yeah, this it's it's they're really difficult and they and it's all the and a lot of the defending is from the front. Um, I heard someone on a podcast 
uh, say they kind of remind of of Klopp's early Liverpool, Klopp's early Dortmund teams. It, yeah, feels it feels very similar with like the players. You know, the players are not quite at the that that high high level, like technically, like when they have the ball and whatnot. But the way that they play is so is suffocating to the other side. Um, it's just, the energy is suffocating, and that's what United did not have. They couldn't match the energy. Spot on. Spot on. Well, I'm not going to change a word that you said there, but we did mention a team, if we can transition, um, that is sitting in fourth, but two games ahead of Newcastle. Um, if you are a Spurs fan and you're listening to – you've made it this far in the podcast, kudos, uh, because – what we're about to discuss as it relates to Spurs might not be so savory or pleasant for your own liking. Rian, two red cards, one point each. Michael Keane, defender for Everton, to my knowledge, has never scored a goal for Everton. Is that correct? I believe that's correct. Um, I don't, I don't get Spurs as an institution. Not even like a team anymore. Like I've, I don't understand their them as an identity. The memes and the jokes have always been there, but in terms of results, in terms of overall performances over the course of any given season over the last six years, has anything changed? Has anything gotten better? I I ask that like very genuinely, and if you could prove to me that that is it the should. case, <laughs> I would love that. And just to put this into context, by the way. Spurs had two shots on target this entire game. Everton had six. And we all know where Everton are, both as a club and as a team right now. Um, I'm, I'm stumped, man. I, I mean, it, it tells, enough, tells you enough that Lucas Moura got subbed into this game. And, and, then, <laughs> and then, then promptly, promptly out. Yeah, yeah, subbed himself out. Um <laughs> Like, I mean, look, Everton tried to give this game away. Specifically, Decore tried to give this game away. I, like, I do, I understand. Did. Look, Kane absolutely flopped, fell to the floor, whatever. But Abdullah Decore just turned the most, like, you know, normal little shoving match <laughs> and, and for whatever reason decided to claw, uh, <laughs> Harry Kane in his face. Like, for what, for whatever reason. Um, uh, I I don't know. I think the the Tottenham side, like you've said it, it's basically a lot of the same players um, that were on the team when they made it to the Champions League final. Uh, well, maybe not a lot, actually, because a lot of the defenders are gone and then Dali's gone. But um, a good amount of players that were on this team when Pochettino got fired. <laughs> and between then and now, it's, it's a lot of the same, right? Uh, so... I don't know. I think they got out coached realistically in this game. When you when you think about like their best chance, absolute best chance of the game that, that Tottenham created was the penalty for, for Harry Kane. Um and that was pretty much it. And and even after going up a man, they didn't really create anything. Um anything like of a big chance. Yeah. Right. And 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 this is kind of what you get. You leave yourself open to uh, Lucas Mora being an idiot, and and then the guy that he almost like injured taking a pop shot and and scoring and uh, 
I, I do just think that at this moment, especially Tottenham without a permanent head coach, Everton are really difficult to beat. And <laughs> you've got to play way better than they did. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and at this moment, Sean Dyche is, is a better coach than any interim coach that, that Tottenham's throwing out there. And maybe that's part of this. That's, that's kind of what I was going to say is like, the context, of course, is that Conte is no longer there. And this is kind of a brand, quote unquote, brand new situation, but it's it's a new team under new management. But even in prior seasons, when this has happened, when Mourinho went, when Pochettino went, nothing, my, my overall point is nothing has improved. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the only thing that has also you know, otherly stayed consistent has been the imprisonment of Harry Kane <laughs> based on just a ludicrous long-term contract. So I don't have any answers for you Spurs fans. I don't. Um, other than I think you kind of need to clean house from like the prior core. That's the only thing that I can think of. I, I it, it's, it's not even just at the player level. I mean, of course not. Yeah, the sporting director, which the one that can't actually the, the one that like <laughs> yeah, the one that since really since November when the Juventus board resigned, we all knew that something bad was coming for <laughs> not just him but for all of the Juventus um, executives involved. He was still at the club at that time when when even even the president of Juventus. The chairman of the board resigned in November, and that was that was not enough for Tottenham to say, eh, maybe you should take some time off. <laughs> it wasn't until we got to April, March, end of March, where it was finally decided that FIFA was like, yeah, we're not going to, um, we're not going to say that you, that he's that he's only banned in Italy. That doesn't really make sense. So it's like, yeah, he's, he's banned overall. Um, and, and even then it took Tottenham a few days to actually process, you know, <laughs> suspend him. Basically that they, they, they still haven't fired him. I think he's suspended. So um, like from that level down, there's just been so many poor decisions and it just kind of leaks on like the way down trickles down into the fact that the squad hasn't changed a lot or even even some of the signings that they have made like what was the point of of Dan Juma if he's going to play like 14 yeah. minutes this sort of the second half of this season um well, we were kind of saying that when he when that transfer was announced like what like what why are you point? leaving Boreal yeah. <laughs> like for your yeah. own sake <laughs> who wins yeah well, yeah it was i mean we gave him the same conclusion it was yeah, the money, obviously, but yeah. the, the the question was more on the Tottenham side. Is like another another attacker? Oh, interesting. I guess no no one no one wanted a midfielder that could pass the ball. That was still not a priority at the time. <laughs> um, Far between already. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, look, I I don't know. I don't know where Tottenham goes at the the end here. Um, yeah, maybe they end up. Maybe it's maybe it's Potter. Who knows? Like I. I think probably not, but I don't think so, um, no. but I would also not be surprised if if whoever like if if Chelsea get one of Enrique or Nagelsmann, I also wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham goes for 
the whichever the whichever guy is there. Um, it seems like if Nagelsmann wanted to take that Tottenham job, he probably would have. You probably would have heard a bit more about that right now, but yeah. that seems kind of cold. So we'll see. Um, I I think the issues are, yeah, a bit going to take a little while because there's players that have to go, <laughs> and and there's lots of players that they need to sign. True. True. Well, we'll leave it there with the Spurs stuff because it just it kind of blows my mind, to be honest. So, Rian, um, let's take a quick break. I just mentally want to, and then I just want to touch on um, Bayern, Bayern Dortmund and uh, PSG because a lot of stuff is kind of popping off around Europe. Well, uh, do you want to take a break or you want to just do it? We can just do it if you want. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I'll leave off with is just the is the Premier League relegation fight, oh, yes. which is just bumbled around um, <laughs> with like uh, you know Bournemouth and Leeds, who have both won and lost in their last couple games, basically just traded spots between one was seventeenth for a day and the other one was eighteenth, and then it just switched again <laughs> today. Um, but still. So, so crowded. Um, Crystal Palace is in 12th. They're still only four points ahead of 17th. Or, uh, yeah, 18th, I mean. Uh, they were actually really great against the weekend on, and got and got Brendan Rodgers sacked. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's getting really difficult here because Leicester lost again today. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know how many points is going to make it uh, safe. I, I, th- I feel like maybe four to five more points and I, someone I might was, be safe. Yeah. Because there are just so say. many teams. <laughs> but uh, if they're all, if like, it seems like a good amount of them are playing each other for the rest of this season. And that is just, as we've seen today with, uh, I believe it was Leeds playing Forest, And that was a big win for Leeds. I honestly, it's I think 30 difficult. is going to be the threshold. It, like between the team playing, I, I, yeah, I would, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> like, 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 I, I forty. You, I, I don't think any of these teams are going to get to forty no matter anyway. No, but the, but I think you'll need much less than forty. <laughs> nice, <laughs> yeah, I would hope <laughs> for their own sake anyway. But oh my goodness! All right, Ren, let's let's talk about the Dear Classic car. Is that how you say it? I'm not German Yeah, they're they're, they're classica. Okay. Um they're classica, maybe. Yeah. It's start apologies to any German speaking fans out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about it. Bayern, quite frankly, thrashed Dortmund. Um Dortmund had their moments. Yeah. They did. They did. Kind I'm, of. <laughs> I'm gonna give Dortmund their flowers, don't worry. But Oh, well, you don't have to give them that many flowers. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> That's not really what I meant. Were you just conceding that Bayern are just <sighs> such a superior team? And that's how simple well, it is. Well, more like, more like they really didn't have to work for these goals. For They didn't have to work at all for the first goal. <laughs> at all. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that the, their first goal was a situation where you and I could have could have set that up <laughs> i've seen that goal conceded <laughs> like 
I, I I can distinctly remember a time where I passed back to a keeper in like middle school and we were playing on a much worse field that bounced a lot more than I'm sure the Allianz Arena does. <laughs> and I and the keeper whiffed and the ball went into our net. Yeah, I've seen this firsthand. <laughs> I've never seen this firsthand from uh, maybe I've seen it from a professional keeper on some random video on Twitter, but not from a video, not from not live and um at this level. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um Dortmund in a lot of ways, yes, handed this game to Bayern, but it it just it takes us takes me back to our last conversation um a week ago where we were talking about the Nagelsmann being sacked and this being the turnaround to be honest and I'm not a masterful tactician although I love the tactical side of the game I didn't notice anything far and vastly different from how Julian Julian Nagelsmann played versus how Thomas Tuchel played in, in his very first game there will be changes don't get me wrong but in terms of their wide play, they're extremely, extremely wide wingers and everything like from their forwards going through the half spaces, like their, their midfield, not box setup, but more, um, gosh, more structured. Like, I think it's like almost like a two in defense and then three or four in midfield. And then, yeah. It's a bit. It was a bit more of like a four-two-three-one. Yes. I think. I think is what you. they started with. Yeah. It was a bit more of a four-two-three-one. Um, like, I, I don't know. Did you see anything that was vastly different from like a week ago? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was vastly different. Um, I, I think from what I've like heard about afterwards, just like listening to a couple things, like that Bayern honestly played a bit more. Uh, slightly more conservative, and, and which would make sense from. I mean, Tuchel had been there for like a week, maybe. So, <laughs> so you don't expect them to be super open, and and the like really um, dangerous chances that they created were mostly on the counter, and and you know what better guys to do that with than like Kingsley Coman and and Leo Arsane, right? So, Antonio Mane when, uh, when he came on. when yep, exactly, and. I just think for them it was they didn't have to work very hard for these goals. Like they, like they that quality was there anyway, and and those um, goals were created obviously by good movement or not. Especially I think it was the third goal or maybe it was the fourth goal, the Coman goal where I think uh, third, I can't remember yeah. who plays the ball in, but Mueller basically Mueller like dummies it in the box and. At the back post is where you see Kingsley Coman come in and, and get that goal. I think it was the fourth one, but yeah, it was. Either way, like just quality moments and just like leveraging the fact that they have better players than than, than um, Dortmund, and ultimately, like Dortmund just made mistakes, and it, it was it was disappointing because the game started off felt like fairly even and and felt like it was going to be tense, and then that first goal happens and it's just like. Um, uh, just, just a killer. Like it was a killer inside the bar that I was at. Cause I've never been in a bar with so many Dortmund fans, especially New York. So it was a really cool experience. But that one just like killed it. And then you just see the, the faces of the, of the Dortmund players after that too. 
Um, well, we'll never really know what, what the game would have looked like if that doesn't happen because 15 minutes in and they're already down a goal and five minutes later, they're down two and the game completely, the game is completely different from there. And Bayern had so many chances to make this worse for a lot of the game too, because Dortmund just had to keep chasing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will say Dortmund's second goal was very nice. Um, I think it was Marlon that had that uh, very, very narrow window space to shoot into um, that made the scoreline a little bit more respectable. But for all intents and purposes, we said this about Dortmund in the Chelsea match or the Chelsea tie, I should say, but we're saying it now against Bayern. They're simply not as talented of a, of a team as the top clubs in Europe. Not uh, maybe as they once were about 10 years ago, but they're still a good team. They're deserving of where they are in the Bundesliga table um, for obvious reasons, but not necessarily yeah. the the top top just yet. No, no, and yeah, I I, I do think that that ten game win streak that I said it at even yeah. at the time was a little, kind of it was a little fugazi, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, um, and and I still kind of hold this other overarching thought about Dortmund now. <laughs> Like especially in the last three to four years, where I'm just like, are you purely just a like lottery factory, basically, where you just bring in really good young players and you know that it, that the infrastructure is good enough and like they're gonna stay in the right mindset or whatever, but you're just like trying to hit on on uh, lottery tickets and, and hit on on someone who's gonna get you a lot of money and not really building teams to win necessarily to like win trophies and and purely just to to keep selling young players for huge profits which is is a model is 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 a perfectly fine way to to run the club obviously but like um it's just tough that if that's the second richest club in the in the league and that's their strategy you get to a point where a team wins the same league 11 years in a row yeah if I speak, I'm in big, tr- big trouble. <laughs> it's basically that all over again. But all right, let's let's move on. Rihanna, I just want to wrap up on the last kind of big turn of events going on in Europe. Um, did France the Ligue 1 Uber Eats League? I don't. I think that's the official name at this point. Um, but PSG Leon PSG went on. This is a mess, honestly, to lose one nil. Um, Messi lost the ball, I think, 26 times was the, the statistic. Um, everyone seems to be all over PSG, and Gautier as well um, is basically like two games away from getting sacked um, in his first season at the club. Um, yeah, he's gone. We we know that when that kind of story comes up, it means he's gone at the end of the season, no matter, no matter like, what. even best case. Exactly, exactly. So... I'm not even going to talk about like potential replacements or anything like that. Like not even thinking about that just in the short term. What do you make of PSG as a team? Obviously no Neymar through the rest of basically the season and has not been for the last two, two months or so. Um, I, I'm, I, I want to ask you about Messi. I do, but I, I don't want this to be just a messy conversation or just a messy point. Like PSG as a team, We've talked about just how weak their depth is, especially in the back, and also someone in their midfield. Um, just give me your thoughts on on PSG, maybe. Yeah, look, they'll probably still win the league. 
right? Like, like you'd be hard pressed to bet against it, right? Um, but it, their season's already done. They're out of the Champions League, effectively. Yeah. Like their season is effectively already done. The season um, ends when that happens, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and they're they're done. Their season's done, and and that is basically the ethos of the of the club at this point right and um they you can't see Messi, neymar and mbappe on this team next season that's just that's not happening the question is how many of them are gonna leave um and you and i don't think any number would surprise you right (laughs) like you wouldn't be surprised if all three of them are gone right um but it's just it's just a team that has really a weird identity. They there is an an identity, but it's a weird one and one that that obviously doesn't jive with the fans, um, at least the very loyal ones, and doesn't even really make sense towards like the let's the attackers or at least one of the attackers I'll say here right. So um, they're really weird one. There, I mean, messy specifically. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> for anyone out there who's who's unsure, <laughs> um, yeah, and and they're just so weird in a play it in a country that produces like sixteen million really good young players <laughs> a year, um, and like so many that that like even the great ones have to go like you have to go play um for like their grandparents or their parents countries right like mostly north african um but like they are teething with talent in terms of like the geographical area and yet they have so few players that actually come from that area mbappe being the one but they didn't even produce him they they actually had to pay they had to pay so much money to get him. <laughs> we had to make him the world record signing to get him, um, which is just hilarious. Meanwhile, you have guys like Nkunku, you have Coman. Um, I mean, even the, the Tehran brothers are from Paris. I don't think they came through the, the academy, but again, places teething with talent and they basically ignore it. And everything about the club just feels like very hollow. You know, you know what? That actually, I'll I'll leave you with this analogy. PSG feel like that really, really rich person you see walking down the street with like the Gucci bag, the Louis Vuitton shirt, like the basically designer everything, like whatever. And then they get home to their like three hundred square foot studio apartment in the middle of nowhere um and in reality they're extremely unhappy and depressed and they're just trying to mask all of their sadness by <laughs> buying a bunch of really expensive stuff they can't afford um that's exactly what psg feel like to be right now um and quite frankly quite frankly since they were bought by the qataris that's what i feel like they've always represented in the world of football but we're just a podcast. We can just talk about it. It's up to everyone else to come to deter- their own determinations. It's crazy to me because, like, I honestly feel like those teams that had, like, Edison Cavani, Ibrahimovic, 
felt more functional or were more functional. They, literally felt, they were. were more functional. They just yeah. were more functional. They felt they felt like they were actually kind of on the cusp of something uh, like the, the club in general. Like, like, oh, it felt like they were kind of on the cusp of just basically being the French Real Madrid and having which they basically are trying to be. But execution has been terrible since those players have left. Yeah, and honestly, when in 2013, 20, I think it was 2013, 2014, when they got knocked out by Chelsea, and this is when Thiago Silva was, you know, prime in his prime, um, that was a really good team that I thought very much could have made it to the semis and gone on to do something in, in that Champions League. So they were more functional because they looked like they were more functional because they were. And also, this whole Galacticos project, we've kind of seen excuse me, does not fully work a la Real Madrid, a la basically most big European clubs at some point in the last 25 years. Um, so yeah, PSG, I don't know what you're going to do. You probably have lost. I would. I said this last summer. I thought they were going to lose two of the three front, front three uh, last summer. I think that's just going to be the case this summer <laughs> if they could especially find a buyer for Neymar. Um but I don't necessarily see Mbappe leaving before the Paris Olympics, to be honest. So, I, uh, oh my goodness, I you think I, they're gonna kidnap this guy? <laughs> is it? I, I don't think they would. I think they'd do one more year, that. one more year, Kelly. I know, I know, we, I know, we convinced you to stay just for this World Cup, but one more year. No, I don't. I don't think the Qataris give a uh, like. Excuse my language. They don't give a shit about the Paris Olympics. Like I don't no, think they no, no, care no. about. I, that. I don't think they do. But I think like Macron you think he does, would care, and I think he. Oh, would care. oh my goodness! Well, well, Macron might get literally. <laughs> he might get beheaded by his own people like soon enough <laughs> with what he's been doing and knowing the French. Like how, how French? So I don't think he needs to worry about that. Yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you, but anyway. With that, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up uh, this week's podcast. Arsenal-Liverpool is coming up this weekend. We have a Classico coming up probably later today if you're listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out. Um, and we've got a lot more coming out with the Champions League and the Europa League being back next week. So we'll be back talking all of it. Thank you, as always, for listening and enjoying Rihanna and I's long-term relationship. See you next week. Thanks, guys.